Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. This is Sean Martin, and you're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine, where we talk about how to operationalize cybersecurity in uh, all types of businesses and shapes in different sizes uh, all over the world. Um, each has their own unique way of looking at uh, risk and how to mitigate risk, and Oftentimes we turn to technologies and, and, and look for ways to help our people to uh, do a better job at protecting the business and the revenue that they, uh, that they generate. And lots of risk <laughs> in today's digital world. Uh, one seems to be growing in popularity in, in the world of cybercrime, and that's uh, the area of fraud. And it's not a new concept. Uh, we, we've seen it for a long time, and it's certainly not new, new in terms of cyber either. Um, but perhaps the, the methods in which organizations are attacked uh, have changed, and certainly the way that we need to look at protecting ourselves and, and battling these attacks uh, certainly have changed. And uh, Marco, my co-founder, and I often say that technology isn't going to save the world. The humans have to create the technology and use it to, to save the world. But certainly technology does play a role here, and uh, we're going to talk about that uh, specifically around AI, and uh, we'll look at how AI perhaps can can help fight fraud, and and maybe I suspect is being used to generate fraud mm-hmm. and conduct uh, fraudulent activity. So I'm thrilled to have uh, a great guest on. I think Jim, we we met uh, online on social media. I think there was a post that you made that that triggered uh, some interest for me, and awesome. and. Thanks for being uh, active on on social media, talking about this stuff. And more importantly, thanks for joining me here today on Redefining Cybersecurity. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, let's give our audience a a view into who Jem is and and what you're up to and and why fraud is, is something that you're interested in talking about today. Of course. So I have been in B2B tech for the past uh, 20 years now. Uh, started out as an engineer, then switched over to uh, the consulting side. I was at McKinsey for about a decade. Then I was on the enterprise side, um, buying technology solutions. I was also on the vendor side, selling um, technology, B2B tech solutions. And at AI Multiple, we sit in the middle as an industry analyst. We help enterprises pick uh, the right technology solutions for themselves using uh, using vendor data. And fraud is quite an important area for me because uh, a significant share of my time at McKinsey was spent serving back- banks. And this was back in the day. And 
there are various types of fraud and we will get to other types of fraud, but uh, banks are probably uh, one of the largest spenders when it comes to uh, dealing with fraud. And back in the day when I was working at banks, these uh, global institutions, they had hundreds of people looking at uh, potential cases of fraud across their operations. And, you know, this could be, of course, in various stages uh, in the process, uh, it could be at the, at the know your customer stage or it could be uh, about a, a customer's transactions and so on. And uh, to tell a bit of the story of how things evolved, uh, in the beginning, uh, we had sets of rules and um, these were guarded uh, quite um, quite well. In short, people tried to keep their rules uh, a secret and use them to identify uh, fraudulent transactions. But of course, over time, the criminals learn about rules as well, and then they start to get um, not get detected by the current rules, and then you add more rules on top, etc. And what you end up and, and when you say rules are these. Business process rules? Are they transaction rules? What what are the application rules? What are they? So it depends on the on the specific context. So when we look at transactions, it could be uh, leveraging the network, uh, like how similar two nodes are to identify whether these could be fraudulent. Uh, like you could say that uh, you know if it's a new uh, new transaction from an entity in another country, and if the country is a high risk country for you, then you should be flagging it. And these approaches are of course quite uh, I mean their problem is creating a uh, lots of um, cases where actually there is no fraud that's why you need these you needed these hundreds of people to look at cases individually because you know uh, even when a rule triggers most of the time that is not a fraudulent case and that has two problems I mean first problem, of course, you are spending a significant amount uh, in an operational work that is not really value-adding for your business. But then you are also not catching uh, enough of the fraudulent cases. That's because uh, there's this phenomenon in a human psyche where is we are exposed to uh, inputs that are not really changing. So let's say the default case that you get uh, is not a fraudulent case. And then you get into this mindset uh, or this psychology of doing the default because it is true most of the time. But then you end up missing the important fraudulent cases. So in short, you end up as an institution, you end up spending quite a bit. But as a result, uh, the fraudulent cases still manage to get through your systems. And of course, uh, over time, the maintenance of rules becomes another challenge for you because you have this complex set of business rules and most of the time they are not so well documented. So you have another layer of complex, let's say. And um, I mean, we haven't discussed the types of fraud much. Before going into the solution, we can also start to discuss that a bit. Um, as I mentioned, banking is definitely an area from uh, the time you onboard a customer uh, to the transactions of that customer, whether these are uh, transfers or whether these are, uh, this is a customer taking um, credit out of your bank. All of these are subject to different types of fraud and there is different terminology around it and there is also different expertise around it. But banks uh, are definitely not the only place where this happens. Pretty much any payment um, actor is dealing with uh, fraudulent cases as well. And, uh, you know, for example, the uh, the payment providers, credit card companies, uh, e-commerce companies, these are all uh, dealing with uh, with payment fraud. Gift, and if gift we, card companies, right? Even, even points, uh, loyalty card companies as well. De definitely, definitely. And uh, also not, not just specific to the financial system. Ad fraud is uh, another large area where uh, companies are burning um, hundreds of millions, uh, getting 
no value for their business uh, while you know paying these uh, actors uh, that perpetrate fraud we were recently talking to a customer so they were getting uh, ad fraud this is a b2b technology company uh, they are getting these clicks through search that do not really belong to they, their target market at all it belongs to their competitors clicking their keywords through uh, through some uh, machine generated approach but it doesn't stop that uh, these um, bots are also leaving leads trying to act like buyers in short attempting to waste the efforts of the of the tech vendor so in short um, even in domains like advertising this plays a big role and not just in reducing your um, reducing your the effectiveness of your advertising but it can also impact your sales efforts as well so i'm, I'm gonna pause you because you just it made me think of a use case here since we're talking about different types of fraud and this, this may be way out there but I'm thinking about organizations. We use a few services that have uh, an open portal to recommend new features or address bugs, and you can upvote and downvote and, and all kinds of funny things. And so you just mentioned a competitor uh, using click fraud to presumably get their competition to spend money <laughs> <laughs> that uh, will obviously take funds away from other activities that uh, that they can invest in. And I'm just wondering, have you seen any cases where uh, feature fraud, so the, these uh, feature request forms being mm. misused uh, to get companies to build stuff that, that users don't even want, really? There's some, some bot or some competitor said. This, this would be a creative case i mean not specifically this but as you know social media you know bot bot activities on social media you can uh, see them as fraudulent i mean especially if you consider uh, cases like how they are impacting uh, elections and and i mean it, it is it is a bit like an extension of that activity in short mispresenting your audience's reactions so you are you know uh, following the wrong uh, direction and of course these could be targeted against businesses they could this this could be personalized to shape my perception and you know when it comes to these domains of course uh, tools like uh, okay i have to mention generative ai here i think pretty much in every uh, you know in every discussion we have we have to mention it somehow and, and yeah i mean having stronger language capabilities uh, makes these bots uh, pretend much better uh, to be human and then of course shape the decisions of whether it's people or whether it's businesses uh, to shape their decisions in the in the way that they want so there is definitely expanding uh, applications in in different domains so I don't know if we can pick a couple examples uh, to help illustrate how a fraud event works, right? Why does it work? You kind of alluded to, uh, in some instances, people's brains work a certain way and then we get into, a, you can say rut, but we get into a rut for how we look at things and, and some of those things might seem normal and they might be actually fraudulent. So I'm wondering, can you, kind of go beyond that a little bit and just talk through maybe who some of the actors are, the tools they use, how they target certain entities, kind of how that process flows uh, before it hits the, hits the business. Uh, so we kind of get that part of the picture. Hmm. Uh, I, see. I It really depends on the, on the domain though. So are we thinking about right. something like, uh, like the social media that I mentioned, or is it more in the, in the banking domain, for example? Maybe. So I don't know. Let, let's, we haven't talked about healthcare. What, what kind of fraud might we see in healthcare? Oh, uh, insurance there. fraud. That's definitely yeah. a, a big, uh, domain. So what we are seeing here is, um, in short, uh, people, be insurance companies being overcharged uh, for the therapies that their um, insured uh, patients have been subject to. And uh, this can be, a, there are various estimates on how large the size of the market is. 
but in short, uh, what ends up happening is that uh, you have this document that explains uh, in detail uh, what has been done uh, to a patient using uh, specific codes, and that doesn't reflect uh, what has happened uh, in reality. And as an uh, insurer, this is quite hard for you to verify because you know you get this document from a healthcare provider and um, you uh, you should either audit it uh, which is which is costly and cumbersome or you should be doing the payment so it is because the audit process is complicated uh, it is hard to assess how big uh, such insurance fraud cases are in healthcare, but it is uh, definitely a, a, a significant uh, area where you know certain healthcare institutions could be significantly overcharging for their services. And of course, we are all getting impacted by this because as a result, insurers are also needing to charge more for their services and you know we end up paying the uh, the result of this uh, specific case of uh, fraud as the uh, as the people who are purchasing uh, that type of insurance and here uh, the, uh, the the important thing is to is to make these um, these interventions look as realistic uh, as possible and over there again machine learning is an i mean sadly we are talking about ways how machine learning can help uh, fraudulent activities but it is definitely a case uh, where you can personalize the, the interventions that have been performed uh, on a patient to make them look more realistic and as a result um, have a lower chance of uh, getting an audit uh, on your organization and be able to uh, profit uh, you know more easily uh, from this activity and of course uh, when we start to talk about how to resolve such cases we will also talk about uh, machine learning well, let's let's stick with the, this example for a minute and see how, how deep we can go on and not technically but just kind of operationally how this how this looks so th this is an insurer. It's it's a person that is a person. Okay, so not a company. So it is a person through their insurer um, committing fraud against the insurer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's directly to the company. So what? I guess so. Are they? How how are they cha are they changing their medical record or how? <laughs> oh, so so how, the, I guess that's what I'm trying to figure the, out. Where where's where's the yeah, wrong yeah, information the, coming from and getting inserted and therefore how? I mean, one source. Audit? Yeah, yeah, of course. So one source is the healthcare uh, provider. So the healthcare providers uh, or the employee working at the healthcare provider could be adding additional uh, charges on top of the. Uh, insurers, um, you know, uh, whatever therapies uh, or interventions that they received. So here the healthcare actor is gaining uh, at the expense of the uh, insurance company and uh, the person uh, who was insured. Nice. I suspect there are cases where if the insurer doesn't pay, then the, <laughs> then the insured ends up paying directly for all uh, those extra costs, right? I mean, even if uh, nothing gets paid by the insured person, uh, then uh, the cost of insurance goes up for all of us yeah. uh, because uh, the insurance company has paid more than it needed to. And this, of course, changes their uh, how they price risk. And as a result, it, it impacts how they price their premiums and you know as we become new customers or as we continue our relationship with the insurance companies we end up paying more in terms of uh, our insurance premiums just because some of the patients at some of the healthcare institutions are getting overcharged uh, for the services that they receive and, and do you know if some of that is automated so i'm thinking of the provider they have some medical system that, that they use to generate the reports and do the billing. And are they are they 
automating the insertion of uh, we run a we ran a blood lab or we we uh, did this analysis that that uh, or, or this assessment that that takes time and money and therefore that's an added expense on the invoice that we're sending to the insured or or is it a manual one by one or what do you and so the automation is not something that I know of. It is more likely to be an individual um, person at the at the healthcare institution that is uh, possibly somehow incentivized by uh, by what they are charging uh, to the patient, or it could be uh, done uh, by the by. I mean, in short. Somewhere in the healthcare organization or the healthcare organization itself, I mean, it doesn't have to be a massive hospital. It could be a private clinic and, you know, um, the, the doctor in charge, they could decide to, uh, to in short, uh, to include some interventions that they haven't taken place. Whether the, uh, there are actual cases that use automation in such a process that I am not uh, familiar with, uh, but, uh, but in short, it's definitely possible. Uh, yeah. But um, manually is uh, is more likely uh, to be the case, and then of course there is the uh, the view of the healthcare provider, and there is the view of the uh, insured company. It's insurer insurance company. I mean, it's quite hard to prove that actually fraud has taken place, but right. there are estimates that uh, a significant number of uh, fraudulent cases are uh, happening. Yeah, and maybe we'll come back to that. So let's. Let's shift over to a world uh, that you lived in for quite a while. So the, uh, the, the financial services world <laughs> where I, I suspect there is probably some automation and it may not happen. Well, maybe it happens internally uh, by internal actors, but it's probably driven from external and probably a lot of automation there. So maybe a different view. Can you, can you describe some cases from a financial services perspective that... Uh, of course, of course. I mean, this is a very uh, common uh, one, but uh, one uh, complicated thing is to transfer large um, sums um, because, you know, it will, of course, get flagged and so on. So if you want to, I mean, if you have these illicit gains that you want to transfer to another party, uh, making it through through smaller sums that are transferred through various actors uh, could, for example, um, fool old um, rules-based systems that were just relying on uh, on transaction amounts and also uh, relatively simple network relationships. But uh, by adding, of course, more rules to their rule set, this is something that banks have started tackling even with rules-based systems. But then, I mean, actors that want to do such illicit transactions, they are just... Uh, they can definitely rely on uh, automation and rely on having more accounts and uh, doing account takeovers. And this is, of course, another type of fraud uh, to be able to facilitate their flow of funds. Uh, for example, when it comes to uh, taking over accounts, um, that is, that's another uh, type of fraud where they are uh, providing... Um, wrong information to the bank uh, to take advantage of some of the security flows and to uh, to get access to accounts that do not belong to them. Uh, or, for example, you know, another uh, type of fraud uh, is related to, to transactions where they are um, having complicated uh, models and a number of actors and number of transactions to be able to bypass getting uh, flagged. And uh, I mean, we have discussed a bit uh, things that are in, um, let's say, individual uh, levels. But then also, in uh, if you think about sanctioned entities and uh, nation states over there as well, there is significant um, incentive to, to bypass sanctions. And using simple rules-based controls where you are looking at the, the country of uh, origin uh, and, you know, trying to find it with, uh, with certain keyword combinations, etc. And similarly with names of entities, uh, let's say, you know, my, my company's name is Gem uh, uh, Incorporated, Gem Inc. And then like if you are not catching uh, companies that are that are of similar names, I could have 
yeah. I could introduce typos in the process, try try different company names, and try to, in short, get my invoices, get my transactions approved, and uh, and as a result, bypass uh, sanctions. And this is an area where, uh, of course, um, uh, even uh, even nation state actors can invest quite a bit of resources to make uh, all parts of the transaction uh, more um, more difficult to catch. They could be uh, working with the with the amounts, with the number of transactions. They could be working with the with the different parties involved, with the names of the parties, with using shell entities, etc. They could uh, create a, a complicated and you know hard to identify paper trail and as a result avoid being identified as the uh, benefactor from that uh, transaction so there are different levels of complexities when it comes to dealing with um, with you know entities that uh, entities or individual uh, that perpetrate uh, fraud yeah, we just crossed over into supply chain now <laughs> yeah definitely, uh, super, definitely super complex uh, environment there so I mean, as you're talking, I'm envisioning this this world where, I mean, if we look at weaknesses and vulnerabilities in hardware and software, there are sites you, one can go to to look up, all right, which version of this IP camera, security camera has a weakness default password that's hard-coded, and we know what it is, and that can be exploited, right? So somebody... Bad people, good people that pulled this information together, made it public, and tools and cyber criminal services can use that data to conduct fraud or conduct cyber attacks against those devices and applications that I, I'm referring to. Is there such a world for fraud uh, in, in terms of the rules banks use? Uh, I'm envisioning this database that says, Here's the general scope of if you if you're coming from here and do this transaction amount from from uh, this device uh, on this system, it's going to get flagged. But if you cut the threshold here and you do it from a different location, you're going to get through, right? So kind of that open source intelligence, um, and then selling that and selling services that use that intelligence. And I, I'm kind of leading us to data, right? Which then ultimately leads us to the the algorithms for doing bad things and the algorithms for hopefully protecting against them. But let's start with, do you know if there's a world of, we call it OSINT and security, open source intelligence for, for that type of data, the workflows in the business? I think the OSINT data here isn't as powerful as as the one in the in the cybersecurity world where you have uh, you know um, certain software and hardware limitations, because first of all there is some uh, obfuscation uh, and the rules based processes are no longer in place, so um, it is a it's a bit of a harder challenge. Uh, you look at a bank and you don't know. Uh, I mean, you can put some effort. You you can figure out which vendor they are using, but it is, uh, let's say, not so easy to identify. These are internal systems that do not leave so much um, digital uh, fingerprints uh, on the web. So, but of course, you can uh, working with um, internal resources, etc. You can identify the software being used. But then, the the rules based systems that I have mentioned uh, are. Um, like something, something of a relic. They were, they were around 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, uh, last being used. So, all of the modern institutions now use a combination of uh, machine learning-based approaches and some rules-based approaches or completely machine learning-based approaches. So, it is hard to have these um, long-lasting uh, tricks anymore. Uh, however, uh, I believe, you know, if you search for these strongly enough, uh, I'm sure on uh, some, uh, you know, some um, uh, with Tor, I'm sure you can find uh, some uh, channels where people are discussing their successful exploits and then 
learning from one another's knowledge, but it is a bit harder to reproduce compared to the software or uh, hardware world because, uh, I mean, these, these algorithms are also constantly learning. And then once uh, one type of fraud has been discovered, then it's going to get caught across different uh, different institutions that that use the same software as well so um, it's a bit less straightforward and i would say it, it relies a bit more on creativity uh, versus uh, something like looking for uh, cybersecurity um, flows uh, in a company's uh, attack surface which you know you could just do with with some off the shelf tools even uh, but here um, it is uh, it's let's say a bit uh, less uh, straightforward yeah yeah i can see that um i'm i'm also picturing maybe kind of a um an e-commerce ecosystem where there's an application that uses a payment platform i should say payment processing system so an e-commerce site that uses a payment platform that uses multiple payment providers that connect to multiple credit cards and and there's a lot of players in that chain and some mm -hmm. may be a little more prone to letting transactions through, let's say. <laughs> indeed, uh, indeed. Yeah. Uh, of course, because, you know, everything is a, is a trade-off in this business. Right. Uh, you know, stopping transactions also has its own trade-off. E-commerce companies don't like it, of course. Yeah, yeah. So the, the higher threshold fraud providers, uh, if you see that one there, then target a different, uh, different e-commerce system. Well, let, let, oh, go ahead. No, I was saying yes. Uh, I mean, uh, absolutely, you can increase your chances of uh, getting getting through, but then um, you know, not as not as guarantees as as uh, you know, attacking an an right. old version of a software. Uh, but still, yes, uh, you can of course increase yeah. your uh, your chances. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's talk a bit now about. Uh... I don't know. Maybe we haven't really gotten into where AI may be used on the the attack side, and then then we'll, then we'll go inside and talk about how to how to spot stuff. Yes, I, I mean on the uh, on the attack side, depending on the on the type of attack, uh, doing it at scale can be definitely facilitated uh, with machine learning, uh, and it also depends on uh, the. Um, the results of getting caught uh, by the system. While some types of fraud have uh, significant consequences uh, when you are caught, uh, some types of fraud, like for example, um, credit card fraud, you could uh, you could have scenarios where you can uh, you can do and get caught and still uh, get away without being uh, identified. And in such cases, uh, machine learning makes sense where the, the cost of a mistake is relatively low and you have high chances to try different uh, approaches. But I'm uh, much more familiar with its use on the defensive side because, I mean, on the, on the uh, attacking side, uh, the, the players, let's say, um, disclose, disclose a bit less or disclose a bit more uh, with the people that, uh, that they work with. But on the defensive side, it's, it's definitely the uh, tool to go just because if you look at any of the domains that we have discussed uh, whether it's ads whether it's you know financial transactions uh, know your customer know your supplier any of these processes these are extremely high volume processes and um, and th there are complex ways that um, fraud could be happening in these uh, processes and as a result uh, definitely m manual work it's just impossible to uh, to deal with old cases. Rules, as I mentioned, they are quite a fragile approach and hard to maintain approach. Therefore, since the past 10, 15 years, machine learning players are playing an, uh, an increased uh, role here. And some of the interesting, I mean, from the benefit side, uh, of course, having, having less cost and having a potentially higher uh, rate of uh, catching fraudulent cases i mean these are these are of course clear benefits and if you think about uh, the um, data sets that you can uh, train your machine learning bots on and uh, if you take into account the case that uh, you can con these models can continuously learn 
as uh, your analysts identify new cases. This is just a much better way to to deal with fraud. And of course, it comes with its own costs. You this time, uh, you know, instead of paying for for a large uh, a worker force, you are making that a bit smaller. But then uh, you are also, of course, uh, paying the the companies for the for the services in identifying uh, fraudulent use cases. But overall, companies are able to both reduce the rate and also have have less costs and more. Um, let's say, uh, stronger systems for catching cases of fraud. Uh, because this um, includes not just everything that has happened in the past, but machines can identify those patterns in, in ways that we may not be able to. And for new types of fraud that come up, they could see parallels and then they could identify even new types of fraud. So compared to a rules-based approach, you have significant uh, more uh, benefits in such a case. But of course, it has its challenges. Uh, first of all, uh, the model needs to be trained on your data, and uh, you should, of course, be um, watching out for uh, model performance decay. I mean, this is a general issue in machine learning models that start extremely well can see their performance degrade over time as uh, i mean as the people committing fraud get smarter as uh, your input data changes etc and uh, but uh, if you manage to you know have have the model uh, trained well for your for your specific transactions uh, and keep on measuring the um the success rate and also take into account how much effort you are putting in dealing with false positives etc and make sure that uh, the model performance remains at at best practice levels then uh, there's definitely significant value to be generated uh, by this approach yeah, so much in there. And I, at the beginning of that, uh, I was just thinking uh, business email compromise, where it may not be an action by a fraudster directly to an entity, but through a quote-unquote trusted source. Mm -hmm. So so an email going to an employee saying, I'm, I'm the CEO, transfer this money for me. Um, is fraud, right? And so AI and certainly generative AI can help craft some of those emails. Definitely. Learning from CEOs previous <laughs> emails, perhaps. Uh, it's not hard to not hard to get into an email system and collect emails like that. So so that's one one use of AI. So which makes me wonder um we're talking about scale here, right? The, the, the scale of business processes, the scale of systems, the scale of transactions, uh, all of that makes it hard for people to keep up, which is where technology and, and things like machine learning and AI come in. And it, it makes me think of in, in the security world, you say you can't protect what you can't see, which means you have to have an inventory of all your stuff, which never happens. And if you do it once, it's changed tomorrow and it doesn't look Indeed. the same or it's irrelevant at that point. So in my mind, the, the assets and, and the discovery process is the data, right? And the, the documentation or the knowledge of how the processes on top of that data are supposed to work. So that you can then write some rules that say, well, in the old days, write rules. In the new days, I don't know, that's kind of what I'm going to. What do we do now? Is it is it still rules in in the system that's fed into the algorithm? Where do we write natural language? Don't let transactions of this size, you know, and then we create the the stuff in that way. Right? Tell me a little bit about about how we go from discovery to actual creation of something that can detect. Of course, I mean one of the common approaches is to use a supervised machine learning approach where. Uh, what you have examples of historical data that includes, of course, all normal uh, cases that weren't identified as fraud and the cases where you are sure that they are fraudulent. And then instead of, 
you know, pr prompting or giving any um, input to the machine that this data uh, becomes uh, the input and source of the, the machine learning. So looking for patterns of um, similarity between the uh, fraudulent cases, the machine learning model can make predictions about um, about new cases that it sees. That could be because they are similar to um, to the old ones, or even though they are not similar, there is some. In short, there is some some similarity that the machine can uh, pick up. And uh, you know, this technology, the the way it works for the past. Um, 10, 15 years, uh, the the models have been uh, using, of course, constantly updated data, constantly improving themselves. And uh, an important metric that companies are working to lower is the is the false positive rate because with machine learning as well, you are going to get quite a few cases where it's not a fraudulent transaction and a human needs to take the time, take a look at the transaction. And I mean, it's the uh, it's the nature of the um, fraud uh, management work. But uh, that, that metric is the one that uh, companies are putting significant effort uh, in uh, reducing. But of course, uh, like not all types of fraud um, are, uh, you know, really, really that, that straightforward. There are new types of fraud emerging, like you mentioned, using large language models uh, for email fraud uh, is going to be a new challenge for uh, for provide for uh, you know pretty much any company not not also just in the and you know making the the spam systems more more vigilant educating employees you know this is a this is a cybersecurity uh, like uh, challenge but in short with these new technologies indeed new challenges uh, are going to be coming up but we need to keep on identifying the new types of fraud and educating the models, I mean, training the models so they continue uh, catching them. And over there, uh, the uh, fraud uh, detection software uh, vendor ecosystem has a lot to do. They need to be coming to their uh, clients with these uh, with these, let's say, you know, new, um, I mean, it's it's not really a new capability, but these, let's say, expanded uh, detection uh, models, so they can, they can be rest assured that, you know, they, their systems are safe. I love it. And uh, as we wrap here, I'm, I want to maybe close with kind of full circle back to the, the human element here. Um, and two parts to that. Let's look at it from from two different teams collaborating with each other, security and and fraud. Because I think there's whether I don't know how much there is now, or if they're completely separate teams. There's certainly overlap in some organizations. But um, your view on the need for increased integration and collaboration of those two those two groups, if you think there is a need for that. And then the second is the fraud team themselves looking at AI-enabled uh, technologies, what do they have to do in their mind to kind of prepare for that? So the first is the collaboration of security and fraud teams and what that looks like, and then things AI or fraud teams can do to, to prepare for AI-enabled work. Uh, I think the collaboration is, is definitely a no-brainer given that the uh, fraud teams themselves are now relying on quite a bit of software systems and the security of these systems are paramount. Uh, so if your uh, fraud detection system gets compromised, of course, that's the worst possible thing uh, that could be happening. And as these systems get more complex, that is, that's something uh, critical because... Uh, for example, back in the day when you had a set of rules, the system was, uh, I mean, it was hard to maintain, but it was, you know, a, a set of rules. While now, in some cases, you have a black box model. In some cases, you have a model that offers you some explainability of why it chose this case or, you know, of course, in the in the best case, a full explanation of why a certain case uh, was chosen. So in short, 
you could be at a case where you have less visibility into how the model works. And then, of course, this means you have less transparency about how healthily the model is performing. And the security of these systems, uh, the communication of these systems with your bank's internal systems, these are, these are extremely uh, important uh, aspects. And um, as uh, fraud, um, fraud detection becomes more um, more machine learning driven, uh, I think security teams need to be more involved to make sure the, the integrity of these services. And I mean, when it comes to using uh, machine learning, I think uh, I think this is something that uh, that most institutions are uh, starting to get used to. Uh, I mean, I remember the the previous machine learning wave, uh, like six years ago in 2015, 2016. There was this nice graph of uh, CEOs mentioning AI in their um, in their analyst. Uh, Calls. So, uh, you know, with quarterly reports, etc., uh, they talk about their business environment. And then there was this, this graphic where the number of mentions of AI is like going through the roof. And back in 2015 or 16, I forgot the exact year. And then uh, some of the systems that we, we have discussed, these, uh, for example, supervised machine learning systems that catch fraud, that were a part of that wave. And now that they got integrated into the bank's workflows and they're operating fine, uh, we don't even really see them as uh, as machine learning so much. It's like you know bank systems, it's uh, fraud management systems. But then you know you get uh, you get a generative AI system where you can prompt and it gives you a video that is AI. Uh, there's a, a nice saying by a, a computer scientist uh, that says. If something works, it's no longer AI. And uh, so uh, I think especially given the hype cycles in AI, it is, it's quite true. Uh, generative AI is, is quite an important part of AI, but it will definitely not be the last wave of AI. But it is going to get integrated by attackers. It's going to be used by by companies in their uh, defense as well. For example, we have mentioned things like uh, like transaction screening for uh, for sanctioned entities. I mean, that's an interesting use case for large language models. If they can um, go through all of the, the transactions, and this is not just a just a network problem, also. The names in the network may not be matching the exact names of sanctioned entities, etc. So language understanding also plays a role, and and these models could be could be creating uh, interesting uh, benefits there. And I think what's important for the for the business team is to definitely have an open mind and a fast experimentation mindset. When you work with any uh, be any enterprise company as a B2B vendor, and I had uh, experience with this, you are looking into even in a POC, uh, like three months, four month cycle. Of course, vendors want to reduce these time periods, quickly show benefits, but then how are you going to get the data? Uh, how are they going to ensure that uh, even if your data get leaks, their data will not get leaked? And then, you know, uh, how are you going to show the results? Uh, how are you going to access uh, systems, etc.? There's quite a bit of uh, challenges in adopting new machine learning solutions in, uh, in enterprise. But there are also some emergent solutions. There are technologies like homomorphic encryption or synthetic data. So you don't have to share your data to be able to see how a vendor is going to perform given your data. So in short, you could, you could build a sandbox environment, experiment with new and upcoming companies, see how they resolve your uh, fraud-related challenges, and then be able to relatively quickly identify what are the, the new trends uh, in uh, in this field and adopt them relatively fast because, you know, you have had a chance to, at let's say, low cost, try different solutions and build enough confidence that 
let's say one of the solutions you try this higher performing than your existing solution then you know you could uh, you could uh, of course changing things in production takes significantly more time but you could incorporate it uh, into your plans but instead of this most of the time what we see is that uh, companies uh, take uh, take significant time in running POCs, identifying the accuracy of solutions, and it takes you know months of investment and then the result as well. Actually, our current solution is performing better than this one. So getting into a mindset of continuous improvement and experimentation, I think is going to be helpful as uh, new forms of fraud emerge and as new capabilities emerge uh, on the side of uh, these uh, fraud detection companies. So teams can't can't be afraid, shouldn't be afraid. I think that it's kind of reinforcing the, uh, the the quote from the, the scientist where if if it's working properly, AI doesn't exist, right? So I mean, it's never it's gonna, not it's never going to work properly. So there'll always be AI. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly there's always going to be some new and shiny right. ai that's gonna things a bit do things a bit better and we'll call that thing as uh, ai exactly it'll point out the flaws and then we'll need it some more so never, exactly never ending circle well listen jim it's been uh it's been a pleasure chatting with you and uh great to get your insights uh, i love that you have the the history and all those different roles in in the in, in financial services and in analyst role and, uh, and in the GSI role, you kind of have a very broad picture of all all kinds of things here. And I'm, I'm grateful to have you on the show today. Same here, Sean. Thank you very much for hosting. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine. Uh, Jim will share a, a few resources with us to help uh, help you keep learning after you listen or watch the watch this episode, and uh, stay tuned for more. So thanks, everybody. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.